Welcome to the Sci-Fi Tales podcast, where we bring you stories of science fiction and fantasy from around the world. I'm your host, Shahrazad, and today we have a new tale for you called The Caravan. Please sit, relax and enjoy. Once upon a time, there marched through the wilderness a large caravan. Upon the vast plain, where one sees nothing but sand and heaven, were heard already, in the far distance, the little bells of the camels and the silver-toned ones of the horses. A thick cloud of dust, which preceded them, announced their approach, and when a gale of wind separated the clouds, glittering weapons and brilliant dresses dazzled the eye. Such was the appearance of the caravan to a man who was riding up towards it in an oblique direction. He was mounted on a fine Arabian corsair, covered with a tiger skin. Silver bells were suspended from the deep red stripe work, and on the head of the horse waved a plume of heron feathers. The rider was of majestic mien, and his attire corresponded with the splendour of his horse. A white turban, richly inwrought with gold, adorned his head. His habit and wide pantaloons were of bright red and a curved sword with a magnificent handle hung by his side. He had arranged the turban far down upon his forehead. This, together with the dark eyes which gleamed forth from under his bushy brows and the long beard which hung down under his arched nose, gave him a wild, daring expression. When the horseman had advanced fifty paces farther, the foremost line of the caravan was near, and putting spurs to his steed. In the twinkling of an eye, he was at the head of the procession. It was so unusual a thing to see a solitary rider travelling through the desert, that the guard, apprehending an attack, put their lances in rest. "'What mean you?' exclaimed the horseman, as he saw himself received in so hostile a manner. "'Do you imagine that a single man would attack your caravan?' Ashamed of their precipitation, The guards lowered their lances, and their leader rode forth to the stranger and asked to know his pleasure. "'Who is the lord of this caravan?' inquired the cavalier. "'It belongs to no single lord,' answered the interrogated one, "'but to several merchants who march from Mecca to their native country and whom we escort through the desert, for oftentimes scoundrels of every kind alarm those who travel here. "'Then lead me to the merchants,' responded the stranger. That cannot be now, rejoined the other, for we must proceed without delay, and the merchants are at least a quarter of a mile behind. If, however, you would like to ride along with me until we halt to take our siesta, I will execute your desire. The stranger said nothing further. He drew forth a long pipe which he had attached to his saddle, and began to smoke with slow puffs as he rode along by the leader of the van. The latter knew not what to make of the stranger, and ventured not to ask his name in so many words. But when he artfully endeavoured to weave up a conversation, the cavalier, to his remarks, You smoke there a good tobacco, or Your horse has a brave gait, constantly replied, with only a brief, Yes, yes. At last, they arrived at the place where they were to halt for the siesta. The chief sent his people forward to keep a lookout, while he remained with the stranger to receive the caravan. First, thirty camels passed by, heavily laden, guided by armed drivers. After these, on fine horses, 
came the five merchants to whom the caravan belonged. They were, for the most part, men of advanced age, of grave and serious aspect. One, however, seemed much younger, as well as more gay and lively than the rest. A large number of camels and pack horses closed the procession. Tents were pitched, and the camels and horses fastened around. In the midst was a large pavilion of blue silk, to which the chief of the escort conducted the stranger. When they reached the entrance, they saw the five merchants seated on gold-embroidered cushions. Black slaves were carrying around to them food and drink. Whom brings thou hither to us? exclaimed the young merchant unto the leader. Before, however, the latter could reply, the stranger spoke. I am called Selim Baruch and am from Baghdad. I was taken captive by a robber horde on a ride to Mecca, but three days ago managed to free myself from confinement. The mighty prophet permitted me to hear, in the far distance, the little bells of your caravan, and so I came to you. Allow me to ride in your company. You will grant your protection to no unworthy person, and when we reach Baghdad, I will reward your kindness richly, for I am the nephew of the Grand Vizier. The oldest of the merchants took up the discourse. Selim Baruch, said he, welcome to our protection. It affords us joy to be of assistance to thee. But first of all, sit down and eat and drink with us. Selim Baruch seated himself among the merchants and ate and drank with them. After the meal, the slaves removed the table and brought long pipes and Turkish sherbet. The merchants sat for some time in silence while they puffed out before them the bluish smoke clouds, watching how they formed circle after circle and at last were dissipated in the ambient air. The young merchant finally broke the silence. Here sit we for three days, said he, on horseback and at table, without doing anything to while away the time. I feel this tediousness much, for I am accustomed after dinner to see dancers or to hear singing and music. Know you nothing, my friends, that will pass away the time for us. The four elder merchants smoked away and seemed to be seriously reflecting, but the stranger spoke. If it be allowed me, I will make a proposition to you. I think one of us, at this resting place, could relate something for the amusement of the rest. This, certainly, would serve to pass the time. Selim Baruch, thou hast well spoken, said Ahmed, the oldest of the merchants. Let us accept the proposal. I am rejoiced that it pleases you, answered Selim, and in order that you may see that I desire nothing unreasonable, I will myself begin. The five merchants, overjoyed, drew nearer together and placed the stranger in their midst. The slaves replenished their cups, filled the pipes of their masters afresh and brought glowing coals for a light. Selim cleared his voice with a hearty draught of sherbet smoothed back the long beard from his mouth and said, Listen then to the history of Caliph Stork. Once upon a time, on a fine afternoon, the Caliph Chassid was seated on his sofa in Baghdad. He had slept a little, for it was a hot day, and now, after his nap, looked quite happy. He smoked a long pipe of rosewood, sipped, now and then, a little coffee, which a slave poured out for him, and stroked his beard well satisfied, for the flavour pleased him. In a word, it was evident that the Caliph was in a good humour. At this season, 
one could easily speak with him, for he was always very mild and affable. On which account did his grand vizier, Mansour, seek him at this hour, every day? On the afternoon in question he also came, but looked very serious, quite contrary to his usual custom. The caliph removed the pipe, a moment, from his mouth, and said, Wherefore, Grand Vizier, weariest thou so thoughtful a visage? The Grand Vizier folded his arms crosswise over his breast, made reverence to his lord, and answered, Sir, whether I wear a thoughtful look, I know not, but there, below the palace, stands a trader who has such fine goods that it vexes me not to have abundant money. The Caliph, who had often before this gladly indulged his vizier, sent down his black slave to bring up the merchant, and in a moment they entered together. He was a short, fat man, of swarthy countenance and tattered dress. He carried a chest in which were all kinds of wares, pearls and rings, richly wrought pistols, goblets and combs. The Caliph and his vizier examined them all, and the former at length purchased fine pistols for himself and Mansour, and a comb for the vizier's wife. When the peddler was about to close his chest, the caliph espied a little drawer, and inquired whether there were wares in that also. The trader drew forth the drawer, and pointed out therein a box of black powder, and a paper with strange characters, which neither the caliph nor Mansour could read. I obtained these two articles, some time ago, from a merchant, who found them in the street at Mecca, said the trader. I know not what they contain. They are at your service for a moderate price. I can do nothing with them. The caliph, who gladly kept old manuscripts in his library, though he could not read them, purchased writing and box and discharged the merchant. The caliph, however, thought he would like to know what the writing contained and asked the vizier if he knew anyone who could decipher it. Most worthy lord and master, answered he, near the great mosque lives a man called Selim the Learned, who understands all languages. Let him come, perhaps he is acquainted with these mysterious characters. The learned Selim was soon brought in. Selim, said the caliph to him, Selim, they say thou art very wise. Look a moment at this manuscript, and see if thou canst read it. If thou canst, thou shalt receive from me a new festival garment. If not, thou shalt have twelve blows on the cheek, and five and twenty on the soles of the feet, since, in that case, thou art unjustly called Selim the Learned. Selim bowed himself and said, Sire, thy will be done. For a long time he pored over the manuscript, but suddenly exclaimed, This is Latin, sire, or I will suffer myself to be hung. If it is Latin, tell us what is therein, commanded the caliph. Selim began to translate. Man, whosoever thou mayest be that finest this, praise Allah for his goodness. Whoever snuffs of the dust of this powder, and at the same time says, Mutabor, can change himself into any animal, and shall also understand its language. If he wishes to return to the form of a man, then let him bow three times to the east, and repeat the same word. But take thou care, if thou be transformed, that thou laugh not. Otherwise shall the magic word fade altogether from thy remembrance, and thou shalt remain a beast. When Selim the learned had thus read, the caliph was overjoyed. 
He made the translator swear to tell no one of their secret, presented him a beautiful garment, and discharged him. To his grand vizier, however, he said, That I call a good purchase, Mansour. How can I contain myself until I become an animal? Early in the morning, do thou come to me. Then will we go together into the country, take a little snuff out of my box, and hear what is said in the air and in the water, in the forest and in the field. Scarcely, on the next morning, had the Caliph Chassid breakfasted and dressed himself when the Grand Vizier appeared, to accompany him as he had commanded on his walk. The Caliph placed the box with the magic powder in his girdle, and having commanded his train to remain behind, set out, all alone with Mansour, upon their expedition. They went at first through the extensive gardens of the Caliph, but looked around in vain for some living thing, in order to make their strange experiment. The vizier finally proposed to go farther on, to a pond, where he had often before seen many storks, which, by their grave behaviour and clattering, had always excited his attention. The caliph approved of the proposition of his vizier, and went with him to the pond. When they reached it, they saw a stork walking gravely to and for, seeking for frogs, and now and then clattering at something before her. Presently they saw, too, another stork hovering far up in the air. I will wager my beard, most worthy sire, exclaimed the Grand Vizier, that these two long feet are even now carrying on a fine conversation with one another. How would it be if we should become storks? Well spoken, answered the Caliph. But first, we will consider how we may become men again. Right, three times bow to the east, and exclaim, Mutabor, then will I be Caliph once more, and thou vizier. Only, for the sake of heaven, laugh not, or we are lost. While the Caliph was thus speaking, he saw the other stork hovering over their heads, and sinking slowly to the ground. He drew the box quickly out of his girdle, and took a good pinch. Then he presented it to the Grand Vizier, who also snuffed some of the powder, and both exclaimed, Mutabor. Immediately, their legs shriveled away and became slender and red. The handsome yellow slippers of the Caliph and his companion became misshapen stork's feet. Their arms turned to wings. The neck extended up from the shoulders and was an L long. Their beards had vanished and their whole bodies were covered with soft feathers. You have a beautiful beak, my Lord Grand Vizier, exclaimed the Caliph after long astonishment. By the beard of the Prophet, in my whole life I have not seen anything like it. Most humble thanks, responded the Vizier as he bowed. But if I dared venture it, I might assert that your Highness looks almost as handsome when a stork as when a Caliph. But suppose, if it be pleasing to you, that we observe and listen to our comrades, to see if we actually understand storkish. Meanwhile, the other stork reached the earth. He cleaned his feet with his bill, smoothed his feathers, and moved towards the first. Both the new birds, thereupon, made haste to draw near, and to their astonishment, heard the following conversation. Good morning, Madam Longlegs, already so early upon the pond. Fine thanks, beloved Clatterbeak. I have brought me a little breakfast. Would you like, perhaps, the quarter of an eider duck or a little frog's thigh? 
My best thanks, but this morning I have little appetite. I come to the pond for a very different reason. I have to dance today before the guests of my father, and I wish to practice a little in private. Immediately thereupon, the young lady stork stepped in great excitement over the plain. The caliph and Mansour looked on her in amazement. When, however, she stood in a picturesque attitude upon one foot, and at the same time gracefully moved her wings like a fan, the two could contain themselves no longer. A loud laugh broke forth from their bills. The caliph was the first to recover himself. That were once a joke, said he, which gold could not have purchased. Pity that the stupid birds should have been driven away by our laughter. Otherwise, they would certainly even yet have been singing. But already it occurred to the Grand Vizier that during their metamorphosis, laughter was prohibited. He shared his anxiety on this head with the Caliph. By Mecca and Medina, that were a sorry jest if I am to remain a stork. Bethink thyself then of the foolish word, for I can recall it not. Three times must we bow ourselves to the east, and at the same time say, Mup, mup, mup. They turned to the east, and bowed so low that their beaks almost touched the earth. But, oh misery, that magic word had escaped them, and though the caliph prostrated himself again and again, though at the same time the vizier earnestly cried, Mu, mu, all recollection thereof had vanished, and poor Chasid and his vizier were to remain storks. The enchanted ones wandered sorrowfully through the fields, not knowing in their calamity what they should first set about. To the city they could not return, for the purpose of discovering themselves. For who would have believed a stork that he was the caliph? Or, if he should find credit, would the inhabitants of Baghdad have been willing to have such a bird for their master? Thus, for several days, did they wander around, supporting themselves on the produce of the fields, which, however, on account of their long bills, they could not readily pick up. For eider ducks and frogs, they had no appetite, for they feared with such dainty morsels to ruin their stomachs. In this pitiable situation, their only consolation was that they could fly, and accordingly, they often winged their way to the roofs of Baghdad to see what was going on therein. On the first day they observed great commotion and mourning in the streets, but on the fourth after their transformation, they lighted by chance upon the royal palace, from which they saw, in the street beneath, a splendid procession. Drums and fife sounded. On a richly caparisoned steed was seated a man in a scarlet mantle embroidered with gold, surrounded by gorgeously attired attendants. Half Baghdad was running after him, crying, Hail Misra, Lord of Baghdad! All this the two storks beheld from the roof of the palace, and the Caliph Chasid exclaimed, Perceives thou now why I am enchanted, Grand Vizier? This Misra is the son of my deadly enemy, the mighty sorcerer Kashnur, who, in an evil hour, vowed revenge against me. Still, I do not abandon all hope. Come with me, thou faithful companion of my misery. We will go to the grave of the Prophet. Perhaps in that holy spot, the charm may be dissolved. They raised themselves from the roof of the palace and flew in the direction of Medina. In the use of their wings, however, they experienced some difficulty, for the two storks had, as yet, 
but little practice. Oh, sire, groaned out the vizier after a couple of hours. With your permission, I can hold out no longer. You fly so rapidly. Besides, it is already evening, and we would do well to seek a shelter for the night. Chassid gave ear to the request of his attendant, and thereupon saw, in the veil beneath, a ruin which appeared to promise safe lodgings, and thither, accordingly, they flew. The place where they had alighted for the night seemed formerly to have been a castle. Gorgeous columns projected from under the rubbish, and several chambers, which were still in a state of tolerable preservation, testified to the former magnificence of the mansion. Chassid and his companion went around through the corridor to seek for themselves a dry resting place. Suddenly, the stork Mansor paused. Lord and master, he whispered softly, were it not foolish for a grand vizier, still more for a stork, to be alarmed at spectres, my mind is very uncomfortable, for here, close at hand, sighs and groans are very plainly perceptible. The caliph now in turn stood still, and quite distinctly heard a low moaning, which seemed to belong, rather to a human being than a beast. Full of expectation, he aside to proceed to the place whence the plaintive sounds issued. But the vizier, seizing him by, the wing with his beak, entreated him fervently not to plunge them in new and unknown dangers. In vain, the caliph, to whom a valiant heart beat beneath his stork wing, burst away with the loss of a feather and hastened into a gloomy gallery. In a moment, he reached a door, which seemed only on the latch, and out of which he heard distinct sighs, accompanied by a low moaning. He pushed the door open with his bill, but stood, chained by amazement, upon the threshold. In the ruinous apartment, which was now but dimly lighted through a grated window, he saw a huge screech owl sitting on the floor. Big tears rolled down from her large round eyes, and with ardent voice, she sent her cries forth from her crooked bill. As soon, however, as she espied the caliph and his vizier, who meanwhile had crept softly up behind, she raised a loud cry of joy. She neatly wiped away the tears with her brown striped wing, and to the great astonishment of both, exclaimed in good human Arabic, Welcome to you, storks. You are to me a good omen of deliverance, for it was once prophesied to me that through storks, a great piece of good fortune is to fall to my lot. When the caliph recovered from his amazement, he bowed his long neck, brought his slender feet into an elegant position, and said, Screech Owl, after your words, I venture to believe that I see in you a companion in misfortune. But alas, this hope that through us thy deliverance will take place is groundless. Thou wilt thyself realize our helplessness when thou headrest our history. The screech owl entreated him to impart it to her, and the caliph, raising himself up, related what we already know. When the caliph had told his history to the owl, she thanked him and said, Listen to my story also, and hear how I am no less unfortunate than thyself. My father is the king of India. I, his only, unfortunate daughter, am called Lusa. That same sorcerer Kashnur, who transformed you, has plunged me also in this affliction. He came one day to my father and asked me in marriage for his son Mizra. My father, however, 
who is a passionate man, cast him down the steps. The wretch managed to creep up to me again under another form, and as I was on one occasion taking the fresh air in my garden, clad as a slave, he presented me a potion which changed me into this detestable figure. He brought me hither, swooning through fear, and exclaimed in my ear with awful voice, There shalt thou remain, frightful one, despised even by beasts, until thy death, or till one of his own free will, even under this execrable form, take thee to wife. Thus revenge I myself upon thee, and thy haughty father. Since then, many months have elapsed. Alone and mournfully, I live like a hermit, in these walls abhorred by the world, an abomination even to brutes. Beautiful nature is shut out from me, for I am blind by day, and only when the moon sheds her wan light upon this ruin falls the shrouding veil from mine eye. The owl ended, and again wiped her eyes with her wing, for the narration of her woe had called forth tears. The caliph was plunged in deep meditation by the story of the princess. If I am not altogether deceived, said he, you will find that between our misfortunes a secret connection exists, but where can I find the key to this enigma? The owl answered him, My lord, this also is plain to me. For once, in early youth, it was foretold to me by a wise woman that a stork would bring me great happiness, and perhaps I might know how we may save ourselves. The caliph was much astonished and inquired in what way she meant. The enchanter who has made us both miserable, said she, comes once every month to these ruins. Not far from this chamber is a hall. There, with many confederates, he is wont to banquet. Already I have often watched them. They relate to one another their shameful deeds. Perhaps he might then mention the magic word which you have forgotten. Oh, dearest princess, exclaimed the caliph, tell us, when will he come, and where is the hall? The owl was silent a moment, and then said, Take it not unkindly, but only on one condition can I grant your wish. Speak out! Speak out! cried Chesid. Command, whatever it may be, I am ready to obey. It is this. I would fain at the same time be free. This, however, can only take place if one of you offer me his hand. At this proposition, the stork seemed somewhat surprised, and the caliph beckoned to his attendant to step aside with him a moment. Grand Vizier, said the caliph before the door, this is a stupid affair, but you can set it all right. Thus, rejoined he, that my wife, when I go home, may scratch my eyes out. Besides, I am an old man, while you are still young and unmarried, and can better give your hand to a young and beautiful princess. Ah, that is the point, sighed the caliph, as he mournfully drooped his wings. Who told you she is young and fair? That is equivalent to buying a cat in a sack. They continued to converse together for a long time. But finally, when the caliph saw that Mansour would rather remain a stork than marry the owl, he determined sooner, himself, to accept the condition. The owl was overjoyed. She avowed to them that they could have come at no better time, since probably, that very night, the sorcerers would assemble together. She left the apartment with the storks, 
in order to lead them to the saloon. They went a long way through a gloomy passage, until at last a very bright light streamed upon them through a half-decayed wall. When they reached this place, the owl advised them to halt very quietly. From the breach near which they were standing, they could look down upon a large saloon, adorned all around with pillars and splendidly decorated, in which many coloured lamps restored the light of day. In the midst of the saloon stood a round table, laden with various choice meats. Around the table extended a sofa, on which eight men were seated. In one of these men, the storks recognised the very merchant, who had sold them the magic powder. His neighbour desired him to tell them his latest exploits, whereupon he related, among others, the story of the caliph and his vizier. What did you give them for a word? inquired of him one of the other magicians. A right ponderous Latin one, mutable. When the storks heard this through their chasm in the wall, they became almost beside themselves with joy. They ran so quickly with their long feet to the door of the ruin that the owl could scarcely keep up with them. Thereupon spoke the caliph to her, Preserver of my life and that of my friend, in token of our eternal thanks for what thou hast done for us, take me as thy husband. Then he turned to the east. Three times they bowed their long necks towards the sun, which was even now rising above the mountains, and at the same moment exclaimed, Mutabor! In a twinkling they were restored, and in the excessive joy of their newly bestowed life, alternately laughing and weeping, were folded in each other's arms. But who can describe their astonishment when they looked around? A beautiful woman, attired as a queen, stood before them. Smiling, she gave the caliph her hand and said, Know you your screech owl no longer? It was she. The caliph was in such transports at her beauty and pleasantness as to cry out that it was the most fortunate moment in his life when he became a stork. The three now proceeded together to Baghdad. The caliph found in his dress not only the box of magic powder, but also his money bag. By means thereof, he purchased at the nearest village what was necessary for their journey, and accordingly, they soon appeared before the gates of the city. Here, however, the arrival of the caliph excited great astonishment. They had given out that he was dead, and the people were therefore highly rejoiced to have again their beloved lord. So much the more, however, burned their hatred against the impostor, Misra. They proceeded to the palace and caught the old magician and his son. The old man, the caliph, sent to the same chamber in the ruin, which the princess, as a screech owl, had inhabited, and there had him hung. Unto the son, however, who understood nothing of his father's arts, he gave his choice to die or snuff some of the powder. Having chosen the latter, the Grand Vizier presented him the box, a hearty pinch, and the magic word of the Caliph converted him into a stork. Chasid had him locked up in an iron cage and hung in his garden. Long and happily lived Caliph Chasid with his spouse, the Princess. His pleasantest hours were always those when in the afternoon the Vizier sought him, and whenever the Caliph was in a very good humour, he would let himself down so far as to show Mansour how he looked when a stork. He would gravely march along with rigid feet up and down the chamber, make a clattering noise, wave his arms like wings, and show how, in vain, 
he had prostrated himself to the east and cried out, Moo, Moo, to the princess and her children. This imitation always afforded great amusement. When, however, the caliph clattered and bowed and cried out too long, then the vizier would threaten him that he would disclose to his spouse what had been proposed outside the door of the princess Screech Owl. When Selim Baruch had finished his story, the merchants declared themselves delighted therewith. Verily, the afternoon has passed away from us without our having observed it, exclaimed one of them, throwing back the covering of the tent. The evening wind blows cool. We can still make a good distance on our journey. To this, his companions agreed. The tents were struck, and the caravan proceeded on its way in the same order in which it had come up. They rode almost all the night long, for it was refreshing and starry, whereas the day was sultry. At last, they arrived at a convenient stopping place. Here, they pitched their tents and composed themselves to rest. To the stranger the merchants attended, as a most valued guest. One gave him cushions, a second covering, a third slaves. In a word, he was as well provided for as if he had been at home. The hottest hours of the day had already arrived when they awoke again, and they unanimously determined to wait for evening in this place. After they had eaten together, they moved more closely to each other, and the young merchant, turning to the oldest, addressed him. Selim Baruch yesterday made a pleasant afternoon for us. Suppose, Ahmet, that you also tell us something, be it either from your long life, which has known so many adventures, or even a pretty Martian. Upon these words, Ahmet was silent some time, as if he were in doubt whether to tell this or that. At last, he began to speak. Dear friends, on this our journey, you have proved yourselves faithful companions, and Selim also deserves my confidence. I will therefore impart to you something of my life, of which, under other circumstances, I would speak reluctantly, and indeed, not to anyone, the history of the Spectre ship. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. I hope you liked my tale. If you did, please follow me on Sci-Fi Tales to listen to more tales every week. You can also share your thoughts and opinions on our social media. I appreciate your feedback and support. Don't miss the next episode of Sci-Fi Tales, the show where we bring you stories of science fiction and fantasy. Good night and see you soon.